Blog Talk Radio. Bringing you excellent entertainment from the king of DC media. Here's the Inside Acting Radio Show. And now, here's your host, William Powell. The king of DC media. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Inside Acting Radio Show. I'm your gracious host, the WTP, the one and only me, William Thomas Powell, a.k.a. the king of DC media. Welcome to the show on this lovely winter night. Tonight, I welcome SAG actress Nikki Estridge, who has appeared in Law & Order SVU, and later, actress and violinist Lily Hayden, who has played her violin on shows like Transparent and on tour with the master of funk himself, George Clinton. But first, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Tonight, tonight was a good night. You fought well, and for that we have these fortunes. Some say that money is the root of all evil, but I don't believe that. Evil is the root of all money, and you, my big friend, you are evil. I'm Marshall Everett, and I don't always make money, but as a member of FedChoice Federal Credit Union, I always save money. FedChoice Federal Credit Union, federally insured NCUA. Membership open to federal employees and their families. FedChoice Federal Credit Union, a proud sponsor of the Inside Acting Radio Show. And if you'd like to advertise on the show, you can contact me at william400 at yahoo.com, william400 at yahoo.com. You'll reach a global audience. You can also contact me at Twitter. The handle there is Inside on the Bar Acting and Facebook, william.t.powell. That's william.t.powell on Facebook. So I see Nikki is on the line, so let me bring her on in. Good evening. Hello. Hello, how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell me a little bit more about SVU. Now, I know that uh, you got that gig through a meeting that you had with a casting director. You took one of those classes and you went in there and you read. So talk a little bit about what you read and what you think impressed them. You know what? It's really such a crazy story, but I'll, I'll tell you, as an actor, you go to these classes really just to to learn more about, you know, how to audition, and yes, it's about networking, but you shouldn't really go in there thinking that, oh, if I reach this person and they see me, I'm definitely going to get a role. I mean, that's wishful thinking. So um, in my mind, I knew, you know, there's always an opportunity for that, but really, I just want to learn how to audition better, and, you know, this is the kind of thing I want to do is something like a law and order. And so I targeted uh, the casting director who, uh, you know, was working on law and order, and I read for him, and about two and a half months later, he called me up and said, hey, can you come audition for a principal role in the upcoming show? So I was like, absolutely. So that's how how it went down. It was really a, a crazy thing. Didn't expect it. Yeah, you never know how things are going to turn out. So now, Nikki, you you got to tell me some uh, stories from the set. I know that uh, you got to work with some pretty famous actors and actresses. Uh, how was that? Oh my gosh! Well, it, first of all, it was just um, kind of mind blowing. We, you know, just having 
normal conversations with people that, you know, they do it every day. They're like a huge family. So they treated me just like, you know, just like family would. You know, it was just great. The the camaraderie and the just the whole atmosphere was really, they were very warm. And um, even at the table read, um, Warren Light, the basically the creator, that or not the creator, but the writer, and um, he actually said, hey, we're welcoming Nikki Estridge, you know, playing Detective Delano. And they all clapped for me, which is kind of a surreal moment because it's like, you know, you got Mariska Hargitay sitting right in front of me and, you know, everybody else iced tea on my left and they're clapping for me. And I'm like, what? You know, this is awesome. So it was a pretty cool moment. Nice, nice, nice. And so how would you compare being up on a professional set like that to something um, – I would say more uh, like some of the local, like some of the smaller productions. Is the pace faster or is there a big difference in preparation? You know, TV in general is just a faster pace type um, thing to work on. You know, I mean, like on a film, people kind of work a little slowly and, you know, we got to get this here. Well, on TV, it's quick and even dialogue on the set, you know, it's quick, quick. So I would say, you know, as far as, I mean, they're very professional there. Um, you know, on the set and, and everybody that works there. So it's, you know, I'd say it's just extremely professional. It's just such a great place to work, and they just they've got all their stuff together, so. Mm. Okay, well, Nikki, I've got to ask you, how was the food? <laughs> well, craft services is always really good, so. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, hey, free food is always good food, right? So, <laughs> but, no, yeah. food was awesome. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, and I'd love to eat. Anybody who knows me knows I love to eat. So, um, so this is great. <laughs> mm. Wow. So you got to talk a little bit about logistics. So, like, for that particular shoot, did they put you up in a hotel or did you take a bus and have to come back down here or how did that work? So anybody who really auditions for SCU and a lot of the local shows in New York, you definitely position yourself as a local actor. So they assumed, because even the casting director at the time didn't know I was at the time living, um, you know, not in New York City. So you just say, yes, I'll be there, and you don't ask any questions. You say, what time? All right, I'll be there. So you had to position yourself as a local actor and just pretty much get there when they say, here's the call time, you know. And they do have transportation, like, in the city. Like, if you want to meet here, we'll take you to the specific location if you're shooting on location. Um or if you're shooting at their, you know, like their base, then you just kind of make your way there. So I was a local actor for about two and a half weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's the way it works. And I've heard that, uh, you know, like even uh, that famous comedian Jeff Foxworthy, he said that uh, years ago he was growing up in the Atlanta area. He'd send stuff to various agents, and they would see that he had a address down in Atlanta, Georgia, and they would, uh, you know, he'd get stuff sent back or never hear from uh, those agents at all because, you know, the old right. thing is, uh, yeah, New York City, baby, that that's that's where it's at. Yeah, you have to be local, so, yeah, <laughs> that's how it works. Yeah, 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 that's right. And so now after you were on that show, I mean, what uh, – what was the fan reaction? Did you get uh, find yourself being uh, recognized? Uh, it's actually pretty funny because um, I actually had people come up to me 
in like shopping mart and I didn't think so because my character and I'll say this is it was an awesome role to get a real juicy role because um, I was on for two episodes which is pretty great um, but I, I had people come up to me in like shopping mall like shopping stores like Target and all that stuff and I didn't think based on two episodes people would recognize my face because it's just two episodes um, and then I've had people that are like I know you you were in order and you were the person that went in the bathroom and did this and did, and I'm like yeah so it's it's you know it's nothing like on a grander scale but it's cause it's still humbling um just every day you wake up and you're like I get to do this this is great um but yeah I mean the fan reaction was was pretty cool and um biggest fans being like my family and especially my husband was really great so Right, is that yeah? The next question I was going to ask you, I know that uh, you know your little one to say, "Oh, there's mommy on TV again." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, mama, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. How often have you seen yourself on that show? Oh, you know they rerun that a lot. Like it's it was one of hmm. the biggest. It was one of the most important um, episodes of the season that year. So they reran it. It was the like, episode where like William Lewis, which was Mariska Hargitay's tormentor uh, in the show, he breaks out of prison and comes out. So that's when I actually have to protect her and make sure he doesn't get yeah. to her. And eventually, she always right. finds a way to you know get and meet him and things like that. So that's how it works. Um, which my dad has been in law enforcement for like you know thirty years. So he's like, "How did you let her go? Like, why did you let her sneak out?" And I'm like, "Dad, you realize that I don't write." the show like it's not me doing it it's not really me doing it <laughs> so um so many people think it's reality it's crazy though wow <laughs> i've had uh soap opera stars on the show and uh it's like one thing i, I judiciously avoid asking any actor and a lot of them been doing this show anything about a plot or anything like that and it's, it's crazy how people identify the actors with the characters and their motivations and all of this stuff. And it's like, Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Like, yeah, we've had, I've had different like premieres or whatever. And there was one movie I did uh, when I kind of first started out in the DMV area, it was called Greencastle and um, actually did really well. Um, And it packed out the um, Maryland theater in terms of the premiere. And there was a guy in the, in the film that actually was supposed to like beat me up and I had a, scene where you just kind of saw like I had a you know a black eye and like blood on my face and my friends came up to me after this mirror and they're like oh my god I hate that Chaz guy like I hate him he's so awful and the guy in real life is like the nicest person ever and so it's just they they saw him after the show and they're like I do not want to talk to him I'm not going to go speak to him I'm like you guys like seriously it's acting (laughs) it's just it is funny to your point how people identify the character with the person so yeah Exactly, exactly. So just stepping back to uh, America's Most Wanted. So there you play the detective. You play so many detectives. Why is that? That's kind of getting typecast, aren't I, William? Um, (laughs) You know, that's like, so everybody, I think typecast really is the only cast, a casting you should have, um, because I think that you need to know your your brand. And not that, you know, I couldn't play the, the girl next door, but if I had to choose, I'm that person that's going to most likely do, like, some martial arts or, like, be, like, an assassin or a detective or something like that, some tough girl kind of role. So I'm really – I market myself toward that, and and I think that the more roles I get like that, 
you know, I mean, hopefully I can branch out a little bit more. Uh, but at the same time, I really enjoy that kind of cop, you know, tough girl cop role. So it's fun. Yeah, and then what was the fan reaction to your role on America's Most Wanted? <laughs> well, I mean, it was, wasn't as, you know, as um, I guess I should say as, as robust as the, the Law and Order one, but it was, uh, I mean, people... I guess they just really liked me as a detective. They're like, oh, you were great. You were asking good questions and stuff. But, again, they don't realize that you're just, you know, doing whatever the director says. So, mm. Yeah. Now, I know that some time ago you turned down a role because you kind of felt that it wasn't really morally matched up with your, your, your point of view. Um, talk a little bit about yeah. that. What was that role? Yeah, so I've talked to actors before that asked me their, like, to give advice about how, like, do I take everything or do I do? I can't turn this down because if I turn this down, then they're going to be mad, or if I turn this down, then I won't get another opportunity. So, I mean, I can speak to that specific example, but I can also say in general, any actor can turn down any any specific audition or any role. Um, obviously, don't accept the role and then back out at the last minute. Be professional about it. But for me in this instance, and like I tell anybody who is starting out, is, yeah, you want to get, you know, get experience, do different things, you're an actor. But if it's something that, and I've I've actually turned on a a few different things before in the past, um, and one of them was the dialogue. The dialogue was very racy, and, and another one, the dialogue was racy, and the actions were too, it was just too lewd for my taste, and Yes, I can do it. I'm an actor, but I just didn't want to portray that type of thing or say those type of specific words. And I, I just didn't feel right. And from a moral standpoint, ethically, ethically um, just didn't this didn't jive with me. So I did talk to the director on the one that I already had the role and the script, the full script came in, and I didn't agree with it. And I said, listen, I said, I know you've offered me this role, but i got to be honest with you. These specific areas, I don't agree with. If you do not agree with me and you want me to say this, you are going to have to find someone else. So um, they eventually said, you know what, no, I want you in the role. You're perfect for it. We'll work around it. So I think if you do it professionally and talk to them, then you know what, they want you bad enough, they'll, they'll keep you. Yeah, that's right. And you have to stand your ground and, and know. We'll talk a little bit more about, I mean, you said there were, Parts of the role that were, I think it were, you said something about language and things like that. I mean, what, could you liberty to talk a little bit more about uh, the plot and some of the things the character got into? Um, well, there were, like, if it's an overly, like, sexualized type thing, but it, there's no purpose in it, that's my problem. So, like, when you have, when people, and I, and I will never do nudity ever. Um, first of all, and that's not this particular one, um, but if there is a purpose, you see so many movies and all the guys are going to be like, yeah, we like this, but no, if there's nudity for no purpose and it's just nudity everywhere, I just don't find that to be, it doesn't enrich the plot or enrich the movie, right. it doesn't add anything. But if you, I mean, I can understand when they have like, if it's back in the slave times when they have topless when they're working in the field, it's not. I would not personally take that role on, but I understand the purpose of it. They're telling a story. It's going to add to something. 
But when you just have all, you know, everybody showing everything, they <laughs> I just am not, you know, a huge fan of it. So this, this film specifically had not necessarily that part of it, but it was over-sexualized and the words were just too much. And it was a word, there were some really harsh words I couldn't say. So that was really what it was. Exactly, and it sounds like it, that uh, the role you played in uh, City of Lost Souls, I think that would be, that's probably, uh, Tia Pharrell, that, that would be more your speed. It seems like you get to play a range there, but uh, it seems to be uh, more, to your, more to your taste. So talk a little bit about that role. City of Lost Souls was great. I mean, it was just, it was a day, actually a couple of days. I think. Actually, I can't really remember that one. You know, you're talking to yeah. someone who actually had a kid and then did some films and then had another kid. And actually, I didn't tell many people this, but I was actually pregnant on the set of City of Lost Souls. I don't think you could tell. So I was having wow. a major pregnancy brain. I was, like, forgetting a bunch of stuff. So at least I remember my lines, though. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> But um, no, that was, it was a great. I, I respect Jason Dawson so much, and he's great. He's out in LA now, directing and doing his LA thing. But he's great. I've worked with him on a couple um, sets, and he's just a great guy in general. And so that was fun. He wanted to create that. He actually mentioned he wanted a Law and Order type feel, where it was more of like a, you know, a cop drama type stuff. So that was actually a really cool role too. Yeah, yeah. And you and you and Altora were were just fantastic. Just dynamite. Yeah, El Toro's great. <laughs> Good guy. Fantastic. Fantastic. So you're a proud member of uh, SAG Astra. So talk about uh, how you got your SAG card. I got my SAG card early on um, when I first started, which is actually, it doesn't usually happen that way. I was living in Tennessee, which is where I was born. And I, you know, traveled, you know, with different jobs and stuff. And then I came back to Tennessee and I just decided to dabble in acting because my friend was like, you should get into this. So I was like, all right. Because growing up, I played sports all my whole life and I wanted to earn a scholarship. So I didn't get a chance to really be in theater and do all that stuff. So as much as I wanted to act my whole life, I was like, I need to go to school. I know everybody's been telling me I need to go to college. So I just focused on my studies and my athletics. So, um, so yeah, I, early on, I, I basically got in with this agency in Tennessee, and I had an opportunity to I booked a role as a principal actor in a SAG film or a SAG um, production. And it, since it was principal, I, I got my SAG papers in the mail. Didn't join until right before the SAG after merger because I wanted to kind of work the non-union, which we know there's a lot in the certain areas besides you know New York and LA. So I didn't join until right before the murder, um, but it's been a great decision. So I'm glad I I'm glad I did. Fantastic, fantastic. So now your dad was in Delta Force. That's a classic action <laughs> movie. I love that movie. Your dad was a wrestler. Your dad sounded like a beast. He was a wrestler. My dad he was is in a Delta beast. Force with Chuck, yeah. Chuck Norris and uh, and uh, Lee Marvin and all those cats. So how in the world, how did that happen? How does how did that come about? You know, I guess this is in my blood. It's in my genes to be an actor, I guess. Because, you know, my dad <laughs> is a he. Okay, so he. Long story short, I think he met some of these people when he was traveling all around the world. When because he's a professional or was a professional wrestler, so he he hung that up a while back. But he used to travel all over the world in like the I guess it was like seventies and eighties. 
in early 90s. Uh, with, but he wrestled with, like, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, um, Ric Flair, I mean, Randy Savage, like, all these people. Like, he would drop these names, and as a kid, I had no idea what he was talking about. Like, I didn't know who these people were. Um, but he's like a bunch of men in, like, yellow tights and banana hammocks. I was like, what are they doing running around TV <laughs> like that? But, um, but anyway, yeah, he must have met a bunch of people. I think he told me a story. He met some people. And then he ended up, they loved his look because he looks like this, like, this, like, Mexican drug lord with a, like an extra fluffy mullet or something. He's just phenomenal. I love him. I love love my dad. And um, <laughs> anyway, he, he, he got to be in Delta Force. He was a bad guy. He was like some guy that was like motioning, you know, on. it was going to initially be a background role. And then they were like, no, we want you to have lines. Like, you, you know, you love your look. So he bumped him up and then they gave him like a few lines. And I, and he's, I guess he's still in it. I haven't seen it in, in years since I was a kid, but uh, yeah, my dad, he's the one that started this whole acting thing. Nice, nice, nice. I'm sure he encouraged yeah. you a lot. He did. He's he's told me I could do whatever I wanted to do. It didn't matter if I wanted to be a doctor or a janitor or or an actor or whatever. He's, he's encouraged me along the way every single step of the way. So my whole family has. Nice, nice. So now... Nikki, you've got a movie coming out in August. You play a triathlete coach. So talk a little bit more about uh, who you play there and uh, where we can see it when it comes out. Yeah, the movie Try. It's Okay, so they're aiming for an April 2016 release, which is just around the corner. I'm not 100% certain when that's going to be. Um, but, yeah, uh-huh. I play Susan. Her name's Susan, and she is the triathlon coach, the head coach for – um, the people that are, you know, in the movie and setting sail for working on a triathlon and trying to achieve that goal. And I probably can't say too much about it since it's, like, about to come out, but it's, it was awesome. I was a little nervous, i got to tell you, I was a little nervous about the audition, not for, like, the dialogue, because I love, I love being able to perform. I think all actors really do. And side note, you have to love auditioning if you want to be an actor, because that's what you're going to be doing, like, day in and day out and not always booking the role. So, that's just my side note. But um, so I, I basically was nervous going in for the audition because they wanted someone who looks like obviously they're in shape. And I had just had my baby. Like, he was literally, like, four months old. And I went in, and, you know, I'm, I mean, geez, I was in good shape. And they were like, wow, you're in great shape. And I was, like, nervous because I wasn't back to my pre-pregnancy weight. So, um, but anyway, back to we got in the film. It was about six months post-baby. So I had really, like, tried to, like, eat well and work out even more, you know. So hopefully it looks good. I definitely don't look pregnant, but I'm hoping that, you know, my guns are showing and I look, I look buff enough for to look like a triathlon coach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So we're coming near the end of the segment here. So I just want to just quickly talk about um, – how do you prepare for a role? Well, I think it depends on the role. Um, for the most part, I, you know, whatever role it may be, I just try to say, okay, I, I research like the, maybe like if it was for, I don't know, um, if it was for a doctor or whatever. I mean, I just kind of talk to doctors, you know, or talk to my friends who are doctors and just try to research just things like that. It depends on the role, though. I mean, I'd say like for the law and order, I actually just watched 
this show. You have to watch this show to know the tempo and what the show is like and how they talk to each other and just what the flow is and the tone and all that stuff. Um, if it's for, you know, whatever, I just kind of do my own internal dialogue and say, what's my motivation type thing. I mean, nothing too intense, but you definitely want to be that character. You want to bring out you in that character. And truly, with, I know it sounds cliche, but you've got to bring that character to life. But I don't think you mold yourself to the character. I think you basically make that character you and keeping the integrity of what the writer and director want, but, you know, putting your own flair, you know, and your own flavor in that character. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. What would you say your superpower is, your power that puts <laughs> you ahead of the pack? Oh, my gosh. You know, I, I think because I have two oh, the most handsome little boys, I mean, they're adorable, um, Styles just turned three in December, and Brooks will be one actually next week. So nice. um, I I think I've been able to tap into an emotion that I would would have never had if I hadn't had those boys. So for me, I, I you know as an actor, I was like, what am I supposed to do, God? Do you want me to have kids? Do you want me to have a family, or do you want me to be an actor? Because you know a lot of actors out there, if they're trying to make it, they're not really starting a family. They're they're going you know, hardcore at auditions and, and living in the slums of L.A. just to try to make it. So when I had my first baby, I was like, all right, maybe I should, maybe he's telling me I need to have a family. Let's do this. And then um, I was able to still book roles and do well with acting, and then I had another baby. So I look back and I think this, I can possibly do both, you know. And I've been able, I'd say my superpower is just being able to tap into that emotion. I'd say almost like having love, like having love, for my family, my my two boys, and it, it just made me a better actor altogether. I wouldn't have had it without them. Yeah, love. I mean, that that was that's it. What really holds everything together? Love. I mean, I think that for sure. That's what the it's great about. Is love. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's right. That's right. Okay, and then uh, how can uh, fans keep up with you? Well, I'm on Twitter, and I have a Facebook fan page as well so um yeah and if the guy who ever stole my nikki com domain name would ever like relinquish that that'd be great if he's listening right now i'd love to have it back um so i don't have a website yet because for the past seven years he's had it um but <laughs> um twitter and facebook um is the best way yeah that guy that stole your uh, domain name maybe your your daddy had come in uh, body slam yeah, he was. <laughs> He'll get his friends and yeah, yeah, tag team. Them, so for sure, for sure. Oh, so, thank you. <laughs> okay, Nikki, you've been a fantastic guest, but definitely keep up with your career and have you on again. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. William, thank you so much for having me. Have a great night. Okay. Good night. Okay, so we are waiting for Lily Collins. She's an actress and a violinist. And she was a child actress on Mrs. Colombo back in the 70s. Uh, she's displayed her violin skills on shows like Transparent, Army Wives, and Californication, and on tour with George Clinton, Cindy Lauper, and uh, Robert Plant. And she recently released her albums, Evocations, and Lilyland. 
and completed a concert called Sacred Music for the Winter Solstice. So we're just waiting for her to dial in, and she's very, very talented. I saw her concert footage with Mr. George Clinton. It was uh, George Clinton in Parliament Funkadelic up in uh, Montreal back in 2004, and boy, she can really play that violin. She's just that's really, really hot fire. Really, really hot fire. So she's going to be joining us here in a little bit. So just hang tight. In the meanwhile, while we're waiting for her, I just wanted to get into the Oscar nominations that have recently come out. And they were very interesting, very interesting. Uh, the best uh, motion picture of the year. They had several nominees there. They had uh, the big short. Um, I hadn't seen that one. I'm not sure what that one's about, but they got Bridge of Spies with uh, Tom Hanks, Brooklyn, Mad Max Fury Road, which I heard was really, really good, Uh, The Martian with Matt Damon. Of course, everybody's talking about uh, The Revenant right now. It's really good with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Uh, Room, and Spotlight. And... The best performance by an actor in a leading role, Brian Cranston in Trumbo, Matt Damon in The Martian, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant, Michael Fassbender in Steve Jobs, and Eddie Redmayne in The Danish Girl. Now, I know that uh, the Steve Jobs movie, there was some talk about how we didn't really need another Steve Jobs movie that has been a lot of written on Steve Jobs. I think it been some TV movies on him. I think that one didn't do too well at the box office, is what I heard. And you had a uh, best performance by an actress in a leading role, Kate Blanchett in Carol, Brie Larson in Room, Jennifer Lawrence in Joy, Charlotte Rampling in 45 Years, Sayo Risi, Ronan in Brooklyn. I don't know much about this Brooklyn movie. It keeps coming up. don't know too much about it. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So here I see that Lily Hayden has joined us. So let me uh, just reintroduce her. She's a child actress, uh, played in Mrs. Colombo. She's toured with Robert Plant, Cindy Lauper, everybody, uh, Herbie Lee Hancock and everybody. So let me bring her on in. Good evening, Lily. Hey, William, how are you? Fantastic. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So now you've composed for at least a dozen films and TV shows. I want you to talk about your creative process. Wow, it's so hard to say. It's it's not just one thing, you know. It's I think when you devote yourself to you know, to the arts and you pledge your allegiance to the muse, uh, you kind of, um, you you get it wherever, you get it in every single place, whether it's, you know, uh, waking up in the morning and kind of looking at the way the the sunlight falls through your window, uh, or it's the way you talk to people on the street, or the way, you know, it, it sounds when you slam the car door and it sounds like a big drum. And, you know, just kind of everything... You know, if you devote, when you're tuned in, there's music and art everywhere. So I guess <laughs> that's a vague way to say 
uh, you know, I'm 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 never off duty, uh, so I'm always looking for. I'm always praying for the next perfect melody and uh, you know whatever that means. And um, you know, I'm always up for collaborating with anybody who comes my way and uh, trying to hear the music and find the blessing and everything. And so it's in that way my creative process and my spiritual evolution. And uh, you know, in relationship to divine, are inextricably linked. Yeah, you've got got to always be on the lookout. Always, I know a lot of uh, filmmakers. I know they take notes. Actors are always looking at you know people and observing people and just being a student of human nature. And uh, and that kind of segues over to acting. So now you were a little kid. You were a, a child actress so like let's describe that how was that for you well uh my mom was a stand-up comedian she was actually the first woman to perform at the comedy store and she was engaged to lenny bruce the last year of his life um and so my dad had been a child actor um and had done a lot of broadway and a lot of films um and my mom's name was lotus weinstock my dad's name was david Job, although he had many uh many pseudonyms uh, over the years, and uh, he became a director. Uh, sadly, neither of them is with us anymore. But I was raised in an environment of creativity and, uh, you know, performance. And I performed with my mom. So at seven years old, uh, she started sending me out on auditions uh, for commercials, and I started working, and I got a series, and uh, and it was just fun. It sort of seemed it seemed very natural because it was part of. Um, you know, it, it seemed very natural. My mom also was very uh, careful to make sure that it it didn't become some like crazy disorienting thing, like so many child actors uh, experience, which is why they turned to drugs. So my mom made sure that I had other things that you know in, that were uh, cultivated in my life that where I would find my identity and my self esteem. So that you know, if if I didn't get a, a job, it wouldn't destroy me. Um, so it was just very natural. I loved it. I always, uh, you know, I grew up around celebrities in Hollywood. Uh, so it, I was never phased by, you know, it was just people doing their good work. You know, it was just fun. Yeah, yeah. So I know that you also a uh, accomplished uh, public speaker. And you talked about how music can save your brain. How can music save your brain? Well, it's very interesting. They've done studies. Uh, with electroencephalograms, you know, where they put the, the uh, you know, the, the things on your head to measure your brain waves. And they, it, they've found that when somebody is, uh, is listening to music and especially playing music, even if it's not a, a proper musician, um, even just five minutes a day, they see that the brain, the entire brain is lit up in a way that nothing else does, not intellectual activity, not, uh, not anything. And they've, actually established that it is the most effective form of neurotherapy um, where they've done control group studies with people who've had brain damage or, or strokes, and it's, they found that music is 65% more effective than any other discipline combined. And the reason that I know this, uh, I sustained brain damage from chemical, from pesticide poisoning from my house. Um, and uh, and it became uh, and I had to get rid of everything I owned and uh, and I was sick for a while and I did every therapy you can do, uh, including 
hyperbaric oxygen therapy and um, and neurofeedback and uh, drug detox, everything to try to get well. And it wasn't until I started to to really be disciplined about practicing my violin again um, that I started to notice that I was feeling more like myself. And I had a full recovery, thank God. And uh, and I that was when I did the research uh, for when I did a TED talk about it. And I found that music actually completely miraculously rehabilitated me and uh, and it's so important for children uh even if you don't become a professional musician just to have music in your life it it actually it develops the brain and it sustains the brain yeah let me tell you a story i know i took piano up until i was about 13 and i got tired of practicing but i know my brothers and sisters I have a middle sister that's a pretty good piano player, and then they got another. My brother's pretty good, and uh, my daughter's was like a genius in it. She's like she was she did violin for a while, and then she's now she's uh, studying uh, piano. But what I know uh-huh, is that what you're saying, I think, is true. I mean, my brothers and sisters, they all became like engineers and all this kind of thing, and my uh, daughter like really like just has varied interests. I mean, she she reads books, she's good at math, she's got like a 4.3 average. I mean, it's like just crazy. And it's just like, I think it, it there is something to that. I don't know if it expands your brain. Oh, she's also good in Spanish. But it's like, it, I think there oh, is something to does. that. I, I, yeah. It definitely does. It They've uh, done studies with kids who study music. They test 30% better on in every subject. Um, so it's not just some, you know, airy-fairy kind of thing like, oh, yeah, music is good for your soul. Yeah, it's really, well, it is. And, you know, and I think, uh, you know, I think it was like Winston Churchill said, you know, if you get rid of the arts, um, you know, what are we what are we fighting for? <laughs> you know, it's like this is the, the, the core of our civilization. It is all of those things. But on a scientific level, they've literally found that it causes neurogenesis and and it causes new synapses to fire and new neural pathways to be established it's no joke i mean it's like it in fact you know the um the congresswoman gabby giffords who was shot in the head um she was they didn't think she was going to survive and then they didn't think she was going to be able to talk again and they did music therapy with her and now she's talking yeah and you know uh now what was it dr daniel amen uh change your brain change your life I think you said something about Mozart is something where they somebody was listening to it and actually the brain waves actually started to mix match to the beat. And I also remember uh, years ago when I was a programmer, I, I remember that too as well. Is that it was like classical music? I thought was like the best. For some reason, it seemed like it was like the best white noise. You know, yeah, exactly. like it just helped me focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, they've done it with, like, you know, women who play Mozart to their babies while they're in the womb. Um, the babies come out smarter or something like that. I personally am not a huge fan of Mozart, <laughs> but uh, yeah. but I do love classical music. I love, you know, I love all music. I don't I don't really believe in genres. Um, I just believe, you know, if it comes from the heart, how does it feel? Yeah. You know, what does it make you feel? And that's why I don't even think, you know, I don't really even think, about like the difference between music and acting or music and you know playing violin or composing or improvising you know it's all just 
you know, it's it's really, I, I mean, I don't know if you believe in God or whatever people believe in, but this is like, this is magic, you know, this is, it's real magic. And whenever we're, uh, whenever we're gifted with ability to hear a melody or enjoy a melody or a groove, you know, it's just, it's pure, it's a pure gift from, from, you know, the creator. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, that, so you, you you touched on this uh, on feeling and, and being passionate and all that stuff. I've got to tell you, I, I let me tell you a story. Going back to about a year and a half ago, I put a playlist on Spotify. I had seventies music, and they had a had a little clip from uh, when uh, you and Mr. George Clinton were up in in uh, Montreal, and. Uh, <laughs> Wow, and then I wound up looking it up on uh, YouTube, and I saw you just playing that violin, and you had the blue dress and everything. You were just a lady with some soul. So, and Thank I, and I you. And call, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and he calls you the Jimi Hendrix of the violin. So how did you guys meet? Well, you know, I was, uh, I was okay, so I, I always have longer stories. My answers are always kind of, always have a little bit of a backstory. Uh, the short That's answer right. is I met him. I met him at the NAM show, which is the National Association of Music Manufacturers or Merchandisers or something like that in Los Angeles. And he was, uh, you know, P-Funk was playing because they're all endorsed by all the big uh, music companies. Um, uh, and and I sort of trust myself upon him. Uh, but the backstory is, you know, having been a child of, of you know, of hippies, uh, my form of rebellion was that I did not like rock and roll. I did not like any of that stuff. It was just, for me, it was classical music or nothing. And, uh, but then when I got out of, uh, when I got into college, people started playing me some stuff. And when I got turned on to um, P-Funk by one of the bands that I, was, I ended up playing with, um, they took me to a show and I had my mind blown. I, ha- I I really had my mind blown. And then when I got to hear, when Michael Hampton launched into Maggot Brain, I thought I was going to die and I'd gone to heaven. And I said, that's what I want to do. It was like one of those, you know, revelation moments. It was like, that's what I want to do. And so every time I heard that they were playing anywhere, even if I was, you know, if I was on the road in another city, another, you know, around the world um, with my own music, if I ever got a chance to go up to, you know, to, to hear them, I would, I would go and I would always try to sit in because that was kind of my M.O., I would, that, that was sort of how I got to play with everybody that I got to play with, whether it was Jimmy Page and Robert Plant or, um, or, uh, Herbie Hancock. <laughs> yeah. Herbie, well, Herbie ended up getting, uh, meeting me through more official channels, but, uh, but I really did kind of just have a habit of going up to people on stage with my violin and just kind of pointing to the violin and kind of gesturing that I wanted to play <laughs> and they would, Sometimes, if they were if they were cool and it was a kind of laid back enough situation, they'd let me on, and you know they'd give me a few seconds. And if I couldn't play, they'd send me off. And if I could, they'd let me stay. And so, fortunately, I have good ears, and you know, and and I'm, you know, and I got a lot of enthusiasm, and so people let me stay. Anyway, so I would try to do this with P-Funk, but they were like it was just such a, a circus up there. There was never any opportunity. So finally, and I just knew I had to play with P-Funk. I knew I had to play with them. It was just like one of those things you feel in your bones. It's like I, So when I heard they were playing at, at NAMM, I had my violin, and I went up to the stage, and I gestured to George, and he put the mic on my violin, um, but you couldn't hear it because the band was way too loud, and you couldn't hear it. And 
And most people would have just stopped there, but I was like, no, I can't take no for an answer. So I found an amplifier at one of the booths at another, you know, in, in the convention center. I put it on stage myself. I climbed on stage, found a plug, plugged myself in, and started to – and stood next to George. Uh, fortunately, I'm petite, so I was able to, like, do all this the way, you know, a mouse would be able to get in and out, you know. Um, and, I, it, and, uh, and George looked at me like I was either crazy or talented. And uh, and he – and we – and the rest is history. We got to uh, – he started singing me riffs, and I – played them back to him, and then uh, we just started, and then I ended up playing, then he invited me to play Woodstock with them in 99, and then he, uh, and then he invited me to come on the road with them, and I, I became an honorary member of Parliament Funkadelic for about five years. Um, I'm still, you know, George is like, you know, is like family. I just love him. I don't get to see him too often, but, uh, but this was a life-changing experience. Yeah, yeah. You know, if men have cojones, would you say that you're a woman with ovum? Definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mom used to say, you know, we should be able to look at women like, uh, you know, Gloria Steinem or Hillary Clinton and say, God, they've got such ovum, you know. Uh. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, so we're going to play a little bit of uh, Here is the Rose. Is that Okay. Oh, I'd love that. That'd be great. Right. Should I give a little background yeah. to, to where it came from? Yeah. So I became a poetry oh, sure. composer. I was I was lucky enough to start uh, being a part of a team with the great film composer Hans Zimmer uh, about 10 years back, and I ended up playing on a bunch of movies with him, and he really was very encouraging to me. And uh, and then I got to start scoring films on my own. And um, and a couple of years ago, I, got to, uh, I was asked to score a movie about Anita Hill, the great you know, a gender activist who was, you know, if you remember, she was the first woman to talk about sexual harassment in the workplace. And it was the first time that was ever discussed in an international, you know, forum. And uh, when Clarence Thomas was being, uh, you know, uh, nominated for uh, the Supreme Court. And um, and she was, she was a very important person. And, you know, she was, uh, her life was almost ruined, but until she realized that it you know, she had to just go with the flow and uh, and start talking about what it means. You know, the power politics of you know between gender and uh, and race and you know. And she's become she's a wonderful law professor at uh, Brandeis University and uh, and a gender. She's she the last twenty years of the women's movement has really been on her shoulders. And this really powerful film called Anita came out last year, and I scored it and. Uh, and I was very uh, taken with her story. I really was not aware of her because I was a little, it was a little before my time. Um, but uh, when I realized, you know, that the UN uh, did a study that said that three that that one out of every four women, one out of every four women on the planet, has been or will be abused or raped on the planet. Mm. In her lifetime, wow. I realized oh, no. we really, you know, the time has come to make a change. So the image that I used was, here's the rose, here's the dance. It's time to, you know, you can't turn away. It's time. So that's what that song is about. It's here's the rose, here's the dance. So it became the theme song to Anita. All right. Okay, we'll uh, play this for about a minute. Uh, we'll be right back. 
All right. and uh, transparent? You know, uh, living in Los Angeles, I guess uh, anywhere, if you're in the arts, people, you know, uh, when you when people, it's a, it's, a, it's a family, you know, so people become fans of, you know, somebody heard me, um, the, uh, the woman um, Pamela Adlon from Californication uh, was a, a friend and she was a fan of my, uh, of my music and uh, she... She told me that she thought it would be great if I was on if I, if I was featured on Californication, so she suggested it to the producer, and he wrote a little spot for me. And then Transparent Jill Soloway um, was actually a fan of my mother's. Uh, you know, my mom was the comedian Lotus Weinstock, and Jill was a big fan of hers. Um, and when we ran into each other at Sundance, at the Sundance Film Festival, she was there with the movie, and I was there with a, a film as well. Um, she told me that, and uh, we sort of connected. And then uh, she ended up hearing me perform, uh, sadly, at our at our mutual friend's memorial. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the actor comedian Taylor Negron, but he is yes, he was hilarious. Yes, I remember him. So, so yeah, I love he was him. hilarious, uh, and he was a good friend of my mom's. And he and I actually did the movie Easy Money together when I was a kid. Uh, and we went on huh. to to create a, a stage play that we did at the Edinburgh Theatre Festival. Um, about eight years ago, and uh, and he sadly passed away this last year, and 
Yeah. Uh, and Jill was at our at the memorial where I performed for him, and she asked. She said, "You know, that was beautiful, and I'd love to include you in in the in the season of Transparent." So, um, so she, you know, it, I, I loved. You know, acting has never really been particularly my passion, but you know, the arts in general are, and, um, you know, so I don't really go up for a lot of auditions for just general parts unless it has something to do with, you know, kind of who I am and, and the, you know, the, the musical journey that I'm on. Um, but uh, if anybody, you know, if anybody ever wants to include me as myself or somebody who's doing music, I, I'm always up for it. I'm always up for I'm up for almost anything. I say yes as much as possible. <laughs> That's right. Taylor was a, a trip. He used to be do those promos on uh, E Entertainment Television. I remember he was on uh, with the Last Boy Scout and uh, with uh, Bruce Willis. And man, he was he was just everywhere. He was he was just a, a real delight to watch. You know, it was a funny dude. Oh yeah, he was such a he was an uncanny talent. So hilarious and his his expressions and he was uh, yeah know, he. he uh, he was a wonderful comedian, but he also was an amazing storyteller. If you ever want to, I don't know if you ever, if you know about the Moth podcast, um, but uh, I really like storytelling. And uh, and Taylor did a podcast. In fact, right before he died, actually, he did a Moth episode um, called hmm. California Gothic, and it's hilarious. So if you get a huh. chance to check that out, he's really so great. I've never heard of that. Who's the host on that one? So the Moth is uh it's a storytelling podcast. Uh uh I think NPR is the parent company for it, but if you it's the Moth like the insect and it was basically like a bunch of it started out like 20 years ago. Um I can't remember who the, the person who started it is, but essentially it was they started telling stories on the porch. Um and the moths would come around the lake. Um so they started telling it at like the Moth storytelling hour. And uh, so you can go on the podcast and, and look it up, and they've got some wonderful stories, you know, from normal people, just you know, like a, uh, just people telling their favorite story to you know comedians or writers or you know, it's just it's like it's just uh, impromptu. It's people just telling their stories extemporaneously without a script. Hmm. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Okay, uh, Lily, describe yourself in one word. That's a hard question. You know, the, the, uh, <laughs> Got you. Uh, you know, I'd like to think, you know, the first word that comes to me uh, is love. Um, and it's, uh, I don't, I, I don't know if I always live up to it, but I, I aspire to. Nice, nice. So what's next? So I'm scoring a film. I, uh, I, happy to be able to have scored a film called The House That Jack Built uh, that just came out and just went on, uh, it came out in theaters in November and just came out on Netflix. It's a really fun film. It's sort of a cross between like uh, my big fat Greek wedding and The Godfather, but uh, with a Latino cast um, and it's called The House That Jack Built. And so the director of that is a wonderful actor and director uh, and writer named Henry Burial. And he just wrote and directed a new movie called Driver X. And they're in post-production now, and I'm scoring that. Um, and I'm making a new EP. So I've got four new songs, and uh, uh, 
and I've got a one-woman show that I'm developing uh, called Memory One about my mom, and uh, the and you know, uh, yeah, it's kind of a, you know a love story, and uh, and writing some you know I'm in pitching on other you know submitting I've got some songs and a couple of movies that are coming out so uh, so just making my music and. Uh, and you know, always have other. I, I always have bright ideas, and I'm collaborating with some other film composers uh, to play um, and sing for them as well. Nice, nice. And uh, how how can fans keep up with you and uh, buy your album? So you can go to lilyhayden.com. It's spelled a little funky. Uh, so it's L I L I. H A Y D for dog and for November. No E between the D and the N. LilyHayden.com, and you can check out some of the music and uh, hear some of the you know things that I've been doing and watch a few videos and uh, and you can order my music from the website or you can go to iTunes or Amazon or any of those things um, and uh, you know or just write me a letter. Is you know uh, I'm uh, my my goal is to uh, is to spread the love through, you know, in, a, in any way I can. So, uh, so reach out to me. Oh, lovely, lovely. That's great, Lily. You've just been a delight. I definitely have you on again. I just really, really enjoyed this interview, and I just thank you again for coming on the show. Oh, thanks so much for reaching out to me, and. Uh, I hope that when I come to uh, your city, I'll be able to hook up with you. We'll, we'll have uh, we'll have tea. We'll have continue the conversation. Absolutely, that sounds like a plan. Well, you have All a right, great and a blessed night. Do you have thirty more Go seconds ahead. for me to say one other little thing? So, uh, besides ahead. the art, the thing that I'm most passionate about is social justice, and um, and uh, and because of that, I've. I have become very passionate in my support of uh, of presidential candidate Bernie Sanders because I really feel that uh, he's the only candidate who has who's not in the who hasn't been bought off by the special interests and who can actually make some policy changes that would make things more fair for for you know for normal people, not just the billionaires. Um, you know, everybody deserves. To have health care. Everybody deserves to, to be able to, you know, make a living if they're working full time. Everybody deserves to, to have a fair shake, a square deal. And, you know, if we ever, you know, what we need is a correction course to get back to, you know, some semblance of, you know, people having a voice and like a, a modern day Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And, and I really think that he is that guy. So I've been, I've been volunteering for Bernie Sanders and if uh, if any of your listeners are undecided or thinking about other people, if you just uh, you know go to berniesanders.com, I really I feel very passionate about uh, the fact that that we really have a, a, a once in a lifetime shot at having somebody who really gives a damn uh, and who could help us actually you know make this country a more fair place to live. Yeah, Lily, I think uh, this country uh, needs common sense and uh, above all, love. Yes, above indeed. all, love, and but you know, love is is a verb, you know, and love is love means actually 
looking out for people. And, you know, when you have, uh, you know, special interests rigging the system and you have private prisons, uh, you know, having to guarantee 90% occupancy rates and, uh, you know, making billions of dollars by putting people behind bars, you're not going to have a fair system. That's not loving, you know. And the people who uh, – and, and those big special interests, those big corporations that make billions of dollars – not only do they pay the politicians to, to vote their way, but they actually have an organization called ALEC where they actually write the legislation that ends up being passed and it ends up rigging the system so that, you know, that normal people, you know, that normal people don't really have a voice. And unless we have somebody, like Bernie's the only candidacy that where, where it's actually a candidacy about fairness and working people. And, uh, you know, so to me, supporting it, it's not just some esoteric thing that happens in Washington. It's, it's actually, it has real repercussions in daily lives. And, um, you know, the chance to have, you know, somebody who really works for social justice would be, you know, it, it's a once-in-a-lifetime, you know, opportunity to well, really Willie, express love. We will continue this conversation and, uh, All right, well, thanks for, well, thanks for letting me rant a little bit. And by the way, if, if Bernie doesn't get it, I'll vote for Hillary. All right, much love and okay. have a great night. Yes, good night. God bless. Okay, now. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And, uh, folks, I just want to leave you with this thought to uh, do something for your career every day and break a leg. Good night. <laughs>